Hi, my name is Caroline Durham and I'm the Minister of Children here at Heights Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us online today. You can find our content on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and at our website, heightschurch.org slash connect. You can let us know that you joined us today um, and let us know how we can be praying for you. Thanks for joining us. Amen. If you've got a Bible with you today, I'm going to invite you to open up to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 is where we'll be. If you've got a Bible with you or an app maybe on your phone or tablet, John chapter 12 is where we are. Those of you online encourage you to turn to John chapter 12 as well. And when you have found John chapter 12, if you are able and willing, if you don't mind, let's stand together as we read the word of God together. If you're new with us this morning, we do this in honor of the reading of the word of God. John chapter 12, we're going to pick up right in the middle in verse 20. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Verse 22, Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew told Philip and went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now notice verse 24, truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Notice verse 26, if anyone serves me, He must follow me, and where I am, there my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And we believe that this is the word of God that he has written for the people of God, and we are thankful for his word. You may be seated. You know, if you think of a paradox, a paradox is simply two things that seem in opposition, that are impossible at first glance, that are actually possible. Okay, so that's a paradox. Two things that seem impossible at first, but actually they're possible. Okay, a couple examples of a paradox. All right, you have to spend money in order to save money. Right, hopefully you've never said this to anyone or someone has said this to you, but deep down you're so shallow. You probably have said this. You may have said this to your kids growing up at some point when they got in trouble. This is the beginning of the end, right? So those are paradoxes. This is the beginning of the end. Jesus in verse 24, if you look at verse 24 again, he gives you a paradox right there because he says whatever you put in the ground, the seed that goes in the ground, it has to die in order to live. Now that's a paradox. Wait a minute. In order to live... I've got to die first. And what he's doing in verses 24 through 26 is really giving you a summary of the Christian life. See, Jesus says, if you want to be a disciple, you want to be a follower of me, not just a Christian in name only, but you want to really follow me and really know you're saved, here's what you've got to do. You've got to die to yourself in order to live. And now we stop and think, well, what in the world does does that mean, Jesus? Come on, because that that seems kind of incompatible. How do we die to ourselves in order to live for Christ? Well, what you're going to see in the text is really this, that Jesus shows us the Christian life is all about the kingdom. 
It's all about building his kingdom. So what you and I ought to constantly do in our lives is simply ask this question. Lord, how can I take what I have and leverage it for kingdom growth? Lord, how can I take what I have and leverage that for kingdom growth? And so that's this morning. That's the Christian life. Take what you have and leverage it for kingdom growth. Take those prayers Take your job, take your, where you are in school, or out on the ball field, you know, where you serve in the community. Take your money, take your time, and say, Lord, how can I leverage this for kingdom growth? We pick up in verse 20, and you notice uh, that immediately there's a talk of a feast. All right, coming out of Thanksgiving, either we're going to go, man, I've eaten way too much, or boy, I'm still, you know, I could eat a little more turkey, right? So what's the feast verse 20 is talking about? Well, if we backed up in chapter 12 a little bit more, this is Passover week. So Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. This is uh, Sunday. He's coming in. This is the triumphal entry of Christ. Uh, now that kicks off the last events of the earthly life of Jesus before he's going to die on the cross on Friday, resurrect from the grave the next Sunday. And so we see he's in town. Height of popularity is up. All right, there at the end of chapter 11, Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Beginning of chapter 12, Jesus is over at Mary's house, Martha's house. Lazarus is there. Big crowds are coming because they're here to see that guy named Lazarus. They attended his funeral, and they're like, man, that dude was dead. We put him in the ground, and now we hear he's back alive. We got to see this. Who's this Jesus that raised this man from the dead? And so at the height of Jesus' popularity, the religious leaders are finally like, look, we've had enough. We got to get rid of this guy because he's causing all kinds of problems. And it's kind of interesting in chapter 12, not only does it say they want to get rid of Jesus, but they want to get rid of Lazarus. They were like, we need to kill Jesus off and we need to kill Lazarus off because his testimony is bringing more and more people to Christ. And so here Jesus is, he's in Jerusalem, it's the Passover feast, and we see verse 20, there's some Greeks that come to talk to him. Now, yeah, this could be people from Greece, but it's really going to be Gentiles, right? These are some Gentile people, and they're God-fearing Gentiles, and they're there, and they said, listen, we've heard of Jesus. We want to talk to him. We want to meet him. We want to learn more about him. And, and, and you know what I think about verse 20 of who those people are? Those are our neighbors. Those are your coworkers. Those are your family members. Those are people across the street. When you go out to lunch later today, that's the person waiting your table. That's the person that's going to take your drink order, bring your food. That's the person at HEB or Kroger, wherever you shop, that, that's scanning your groceries. That, that's who verse 20 is. And there's a lot of people out there today that say, you know, hey, we, we believe there's a God. We've heard about a God, but, but I don't know this Jesus yet. I want to know him. And if that's you this morning sitting here in this room, if that's you watching on home today, online, like you come to know this Jesus. The Bible says today can be that day of salvation. If you call out to him for him to save you and you follow Christ, you can know him. But, but verse 20, there's some that are searching for him, just like there are many today still searching for who this Jesus is. And they go and tell Andrew, and then Andrew gets a group text going between him, Philip, and Jesus. And he's like, hey, we got some people to meet you. 
And here's what I love about Andrew and Philip. When you see them in the Gospels, you know what they're constantly doing? Just bringing people to Jesus. Hey, that's what they're doing. They're just like, hey, Jesus, got, got another one. Just want to introduce him. <laughs> like, here you go, Jesus. Just, just to introduce you. And you always see Andrew and Philip doing that. Go back and read John chapter 1. You'll see what I'm saying. So Jesus is there. Verse 23, they bring this group to Jesus. And notice what Jesus says, verse 23. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You know, that's a, that's a loaded verse right there. Because throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has been saying, no, no, the hour hasn't come yet. John chapter 2, first miracle where he turns water into wine, the people are like, we got to make this guy the Messiah, the King. And he's like, no, no, the hour hasn't come. John chapter 7, John chapter 8, hour's not come. John chapter 12, hour's here. But understand that that promise of that Messiah, that, that goes deeper and farther back than just the gospel of John. That's all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when you have God, Adam, Eve, and Satan on the scene. Adam and Eve have sinned against God. They've fallen, and God looks at, at, at Satan. He says, listen, I'm going to one day send a Messiah that's going to bring humanity back to me. And yes, Satan, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. You're going to be done one day, Satan. All evil is going to finally one day be defeated. And from that promise of John chapter 3, all those Old Testament prophets preaching about this Messiah to come, all those lambs slaughtered and sacrificed in the Old Testament pointing us to this lamb, this perfect sacrifice to come, right here, John chapter 12, Passover, standing there, Jesus says, now's the time. Now's the time for me to die. Now's that time. Paul wrote about it in Galatians chapter 4, and he explained it this way. Galatians chapter 4, Paul says uh, this. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Man, I, I love that. And that's what I love about Christmas time, to, rem to remember all those promises that you see in the Bible, fulfilled in Christ, in this moment, that baby born in a manger didn't stay a baby. He grew. He died on the cross for me, for you. God kept his promises. And here's what I want you to do this morning. Here's what I want you to do this Christmas season. Don't lose the wonder of that. Don't lose the joy in that. You know, I've seen way too, you probably have heard that message for some of you for 70 years of your life, 60 years of your life. 50 years of your life. Yeah, I know Jesus came. He died for me, rose from the grave. Man, if you've heard that for one year, one week, 70 years, it all should captivate us. Amen? Because here's what I've learned. I came to know Christ at the age of 14. I'm going to be 44 tomorrow. And I know I need Jesus way more as a 44-year-old than I did as 14. You know why? Because I know I'm a big old sinner at the age of 44. I've learned the depths of my sin. And as I just keep learning about God, and the more I learn about God, I'm like, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why would you even for one minute save someone like me? And the more you learn about God, the more generous you ought to be, the more thankful you ought to be, 
the more praiseworthy you ought to be. Why? Because we know we constantly don't deserve what he did in verse 23, that the Son of Man was glorified. He died on a cross for us. Then Jesus, in verses 24 and 26, explains a little more of what he's going to do and what we ought to do. Verse 24, he gives you this paradox. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, at first glance, that, that kind of seems weird, but we understand what he's getting at. All right, He's talking to a culture that's pretty agricultural, but many of you are agricultural because you, you have gardens or some of you are, are farmers still. But, but you get this concept. If you want cucumbers to grow, what have you got to do? You got to plant cucumber seeds, right? If you don't plant a seed, there's not a harvest, right? I mean, that's not, that's not hard to understand. You put something in the ground, you put it in the ground, you want that cucumber plant to come up, you put cucumber seeds in the ground, you water it, and one day you got cucumbers. That's the way it works, just like it works in churches. Churches want harvest of souls, but we have to share the gospel. There's no harvest without us planting the seed of the gospel in people's lives. And so Jesus is saying this, you put a seed in, the seed dies, and it grows. Now, when we put a seed in the ground, though, we don't think of it as dying. See, when you put a seed in the ground, you think, well, man, that seed's not dying. That seed's actually living. No, 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 no. That's not the way it works. You put a seed in the ground, that's the end of the seed's life. And now from that dead seed is coming new life. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus died for us. They put him in the ground. And now when they put him in the ground and he came out of the ground and resurrected from the grave, he gives us new life. We have new life because he was the seed that died for us so that we might live through him. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you in your life, if you want to follow me, you have to die. You have to die in order to live. That's what verse 24 is getting at. And then he goes on and he explains it in verses 25 and 26. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Here's what Christ is after. He's not after a decision. He's after you being a disciple. There's a lot of people that have made decisions for Christ that don't follow Christ. And what we would call that is cultural Christianity. And a lot of times cultural Christianity will send you faster to hell than anything else. Because there's a lot of people out there that say, hey, I made a decision when I was eight. I made a decision when I was 10 or 12 or 15 or 20, and they've not been following the Lord one other second of their life. Jesus says this, you want to follow me, you hate your life. And what that means is this, you put me first. You, you put me first over yourself. That your life's about me 
because I'm the one that died for you, and I'm the one giving you eternal life. And so everything else comes second. I come first. Now listen, I, I know there's some of you. You may be watching online this morning. You may be here in this room. You're like, whoa, 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 hang on. I don't like that. I don't like that one bit. I don't like that one bit because who's Jesus telling me how to live my life? This is my life. This is my body. This is the way I want to make decisions. I'm the authority. I'm the boss. And Jesus says, look, you want to take that attitude. <laughs> you can't follow me because here's my terms. You want to follow me? You give me your life. You got to die to you in order to live. Now, some people are going to look at that and say, that's foolish. They just say, man, that's just foolish. Is that really worth it? Reminds me as we're coming up soon on the anniversary of this, and it's, uh, he, he's one of my favorite missionaries to read about and study. January 8th, 1956, Jim Elliott and, and four of his missionary friends are trying to make contact uh, with people in Ecuador in the jungles. And, and this, this group of people they're trying to make contact with were, were violent people. They really were always hostile to outsiders. No outsiders had ever really been able to build a relationship with them or make any real successful contact with them. Jim Elliott, four of his friends, after several attempts, finally on, a, on you know, the base of the jungle that day, they're about to enter in and, and go make contact with these folks. And Jim Elliott, four of his friends, they died right there on, in that beach that day. I mean, th those, those, that tribe took their life, and they died. When Time Magazine wrote that story, I'm sure there was a lot of people that read about that, heard about that, and said that was absolutely foolish. That was foolish of them to do. These were young men, many of them not even over the age of 35 yet. They were married. They had young wives. They had children. They had young children. And that was just a foolish, foolish way for them to live to go and try to tell somebody else about Jesus, and they died for it. Well, you know, that wasn't the end of the story. Their bodies went in the ground. The seed of their life went in the ground. Do you know what happened next? After a period of time, those missionaries' wives went back to that tribe, and they made contact, and they started living among that tribe that killed their husbands. And many of those tribes, men and women and children and teenagers, they came to know Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jim Elliot and those four friends, their seed went in the ground. And when their life went in the ground, they died. Well, it brought new life later. And their story still resonates and reaches people for Christ even today. And I love what Jim Elliot wrote in his journal one day growing up. He said this, He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool. You know, to, he's no fool that way. You give your life to Christ, the world may look at that and say, that's foolishness. But Jesus says, you want to be my servant? You give me you, and the Father's going to honor you. And so you know, when we began to, to pray about it's multiply the mission. A lot of this was just birthed out of my own prayer time, my own, my own heart. And back about May, I began just praying. I said, Lord, what, what can we do at Heights Baptist Church just to get the, get the gospel out further? Lord, what can I do? What, what, what do you want from me? What do you want? 
God put a question on my heart that I've just been rolling around in my mind for months and months, and, and it's this question right here. All right, and I want you to ask yourself this question. I'm going to tell you what, right off the bat, this is not an easy question to answer. It may make you a little mad. It may make you a little uncomfortable, and you just, you take that up with God, okay? I mean, but I'm just going to tell you what he told me, and, and this is the question that's been just burning in my, my mind and my heart through all this time. He, one day in my quiet time, I, I felt impressed with this question. Lee, what needs to die in you in order for the kingdom of God to grow? Let me just ask you that. What needs to die in you for the kingdom of God to grow? What do you need to ask God to pinpoint in your life today? To say, Lord, I need to die to this. I need to die to this so that new life can come from me. I want to thank you so much for watching today's message. And I want to simply ask you a question. Is there a time in your life that you have given your life to Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? Have you come to know Him? Now, you might say, well, I know Jesus. I've heard about Him. I mean, you just preached about Him. I've been in church before, but that's not the question I'm asking you. Is there a time that you have given your life over to Jesus, where you have invited Him in your life and simply said, Jesus, you now are the Lord and Savior of my life? I like to explain it this way. Have you given Him the username and password of your life? Does he have access to all accounts in your life? See, the Bible says that we need to place our faith and our trust in Jesus in order to be saved, in order to have our sin forgiven, have a relationship with God now, and to be in heaven with God throughout all of eternity. We need to trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the resurrection. Now, you today may be ready to do that, but you say, I, I don't know how to do that. How do I place my faith and trust in Jesus? Well, the Bible says this, that we call out on the name of the Lord. I love what Romans chapters 10 in verse 13 says. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when it says call on the name of the Lord, you know what that means? Just to pray. To say, you know what? I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And maybe you're watching this and say, I, I don't know how to pray. I, I've never done that. Well, I want to invite you to follow along with me. And if it's on your heart and your mind today to say, I'm ready to be a Christian, I'm ready to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life, then I'm going to invite you right now to pray with me. And so just right where you are, you can call out to Him and simply say something like this, Dear God, today I call out to Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I place my faith and my trust in Him to be my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and giving me life forever with you, God. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, friend, if you've prayed with me today, no matter where you are, we'd love to follow up with you. You can simply go to heightschurch.org connect. That's going to take you to our website. Right there on the website, you click decision. And you let me know you've made that decision, that you've prayed that prayer with me. I'm going to be in touch with you. That information is going to come right to me and we'll help you take your next step of faith. And so thank you for watching today. I encourage you to subscribe to our Facebook page and our YouTube page so you stay current with all of our digital content. If you're ever in our area, we'd love to see you in person at a service at 9 a.m. 
or 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning. So till we see each other again, God bless.